0: I'll be reading the entire chapter. However, our text today is primarily verses 9 and 10. I'll also be reading a portion of Deuteronomy 31, verses 6 through 8. Here, once again the very words of God. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And now from Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 6 through 8. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God... He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the redemption that has been purchased on our behalf through your Son, Jesus Christ, the Lord and Giver of life, the one whose kingdom shall not end, whose government and peace will grow and grow and shall have no end to it. And Your zeal performs all of this. We give thanks, Father, that that redemption has come to us. We who were far from You, yet in Your grace and Your mercy, You sought us out, brought us to confession and repentance by and through Your Spirit and have added us to Your kingdom. Father, we give thanks for all You've done on our behalf. We thank You that You've humbled us, that we might be lifted up. We thank You that You've promised us eternal life in the resurrection of our Savior, that which we could never bring about ourselves, You have brought about for us. All this, Lord, in all this we give thanks. And as we consider how You persevere with us, bringing us to this salvation such that we'll never be plucked from Your hands, we pray that we would persevere in faith until our full redemption, our glorification, and that we'd not grow weary in well-doing, but that we would do good unto all men, but especially those of the household of faith. And in this, this we give thanks as well. Goad us to this work, Lord. And we ask this in the name of Christ and for His sake. Amen. Well, brethren, today I have chosen a passage from Paul's epistle to the Galatians for us to consider the notion of perseverance. Now, I have to be careful when I make mention of this. For those of you who are theologians among us, or maybe... Uh, aspiring theologians. You may immediately think of the fifth point of Calvinistic theology which was uh, codified for us at the Synod of Dort when the remonstrants, those who were bringing Arminian theology, uh, were uh, confronted by those who were of Calvinistic persuasion. And the fifth point Uh, point of Calvinism was the perseverance of the saints. The reason why I'm making a bit of a distinction here is I'm not going to talk about that particular notion of perseverance because that's really God persevering with us. And we learn of that in the 10th chapter of John's Gospel beginning in verse 25 where we read these words, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe... I and my Father are one. The notion of perseverance of the saints is more of God's persevering with us, meaning He will never relent of His promise to redeem those whom He's brought salvation to. And in this passage, our Lord reassures us that when God shines His grace and mercy upon us to the saving of our souls, we are forever His. No one nor anything can snatch us from his hand or the hand of our Lord Jesus. Our text today from Galatians 6 speaks of the character of the Christian who lives in light of the truths of John's Gospel, chapter 10. In other words, Paul is encouraging us to persevere in faith because God never leaves nor forsakes us, and none can snatch us from the Father's hand. We persevere because God perseveres with us. We who God has chosen for redemption are the eternal possession of the Almighty God. He will persevere forever on our behalf. And Paul is admonishing us then to follow in his likeness in our perseverance in the the faith. Brethren, I hope these statements warm your souls God will always persevere on your behalf. He has redeemed you to the uttermost. That should warm our soul. It's a great comfort then that we are called children of God. Those whom God has called out of darkness into His marvelous light. God has provided salvation for those who believe. And furthermore, God has assured us that we shall never that we shall forever be the object of His affection. So then let us turn our focus to the passage that is our text today. Galatians 6, 1-10, but primarily verses 9 and 10. And in those verses again, we read these words, "...and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We'll consider these admonitions from the Apostle Paul in light of his own life, first as a Pharisee, then his life as a missionary, and then in light of the cross of Jesus Christ for us all. So let's begin with the admonishment in light of Paul's life before he came to faith. Think back in your scriptures with me. I'll say this, history is important. As a student of history, I would you wouldn't expect me to say anything different, I don't think. I think it's very important. But not all history has the same importance. For instance, it isn't in a historical fact that yesterday was Saturday, September 16th. That fact is not so nearly important as what occurred on Saturday, September 16th. Furthermore, some events that occur are far more important than other events that occur, and I'll speak to that in just a few moments. So history is important, but not all history is as important in the same way. God has crafted all of history. He's chosen us to be his sons and daughters before the foundations of the Earth. Before he created all things, he had your salvation in his mind to purpose it and to bring it to pass. So, on a macro level, God does all things for his glory and our good. And yet, on an individual level, sometimes we don't understand it as carefully. What has occurred in our individual lives does have great importance. And the Apostle Paul is no exception. And so I want to look a bit at his life to consider this notion of admonishment not to grow weary in well-doing. Because I think Paul, if anyone, had a reason to complain about not growing weary, he would have been the man. Now consider his life before his conversion. In Philippians 3, verse 5, Paul writes of himself as being, quote, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. He was an important person. He was of the covenant people. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. But more importantly, he was a Pharisee. He was a learned man and a man who one day would have great authority in Israel. While he was still fairly young, he was sent to Jerusalem to receive his education at the school of Gamaliel. Gamaliel being the the Pharisee of Pharisees, probably the greatest teacher of the law in all of Israel, in all of their history. He was one of the most noted rabbis in, the Israel, in, in, in all of Israel in their history. Little more is known about his early days, those of Paul, yet he takes an active part in the martyrdom of Stephen, and we find this in Acts chapter 7, 58 through 60, as well as chapter 22, verse 20. And then later, Paul would confess that beyond measure he persecuted the church of God. Prior to his conversion, beyond measure. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul describes himself this way I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. And then he adds in verse 15 of the same chapter. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Prior to his conversion, Paul, though having titles to his name, being a respectable Pharisee, a person of the covenant people of God, was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man and a sinner of whom he was chief. His history was at best sordid and at worst evil. And yet God showed mercy to this man. God redeems blasphemers, persecutors, and insolent men for His kingdom. In other words, he turns traitors of Satan's kingdom into sons and daughters of light. Even the chief of sinners is not beyond the reach of God's saving grace. Nor can he be snatched from the Father's hand when redemption floods into his life, making him whiter than snow. So what lesson do we learn from the early part of Paul's life? In light of these verses in Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10, the lesson is this, brethren. Despite who we were, despite the sins we committed, despite the hatred we had for God and His kingdom, God can and does use such vessels for His kingdom once they are cleansed in the saving blood of Jesus Christ. We are poor vessels, wretched things. And then when God chooses us to take us out of darkness into His marvelous light, He cleanses us for holy use, a sanctified purpose. That's the building of His kingdom. Consider that God's glory shines forth all the more when the filthiest of vessels are purified for a holy and sanctified use. You. You who were lost in your trespasses and sins. You who were defiling God and every work that He does. It is you who Christ died for that He might rescue you and make you a fit vessel for His use. Such was the case with the Apostle Paul. He was miraculously converted. So let's consider his life then after his conversion. If if he shouldn't grow weary in well-doing, as he admonishes the Galatians, he would have every reason to say, I'm unfit for this work, having just rehearsed his early life. But now let's consider what his life was like after his conversion. He was converted on the road to Damascus. While traveling with letters of authority to persecute Christ's church, Paul is confronted by our Lord Himself in a blinding vision. And yes, I do mean blinding. Paul loses his eyesight. His eyes are open to the things of God and he humbles himself and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ but it's his very eyesight that's lost. The, the, the irony of that. He loses his eyesight, but he he sees what he's never seen before. The work of Jesus Christ in a vision. Isn't that tremendous irony? I love the way God tells stories. I'm going to take your eyesight, but I'm going to open your eyes doing it. It's amazing. Though he loses his eyesight, they are opened. His eyes are opened, and he humbles himself and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. His blindness would only be temporary. Though some commentators believe it it may have been uh, had long-lasting effects, considering Paul's words in Galatians six eleven, just a few verses after our passage today. Actually, the next verse after our passage, verse eleven. He writes in very large letters. It could be that there was a lasting effect of him seeing the vision on the road to Damascus. It's debated. When we get to heaven, we can ask Paul about that. These are the kinds of questions I'm going to have when I get to heaven. Paul, tell me about verse 11 in Galatians 6. Was your eyesight worse after the vision? Is that what's happening here? But not only was Paul stricken with temporary blindness, this is his life after conversion, he recounts for the Corinthians what it has been like being a missionary for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In, first, or in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul recounts the hardships he's endured to bring the gospel to the Corinthians as well as to all the churches in Asia Minor. I'm going to read verses 16-33 through 33 of 2 Corinthians 11. These are Paul's words. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since my boast according to the flesh, I too will boast, for you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But what everyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Artus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Brother, Paul recounts his hardships here with great trepidation. He is not trying to glorify himself. Rather, he is answering a false accusation of some at Corinth that he is profiting from his ministry in the gospel at the expense of others. Profiting? With this list? To that charge, he recounts the various trials as God, God has led him through, following, following his temporary blindness, remember the road to Damascus, In verses 23 through 28, we see a particularly uh, important part of his ministry. All of these things he's endured for the cross of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 28, he says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Not only have I endured all of these physical things, my soul daily is anxious for the well-being of the churches he's ministered to." Rather, Paul is no stranger to hardship, and he counts the daily anxiety that he experiences for the church as one of those great hardships. This anxiety Paul's experience, I believe, is the very thing that he speaks of in Galatians 6, two, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now just as an aside, as for my own ministry, brethren, this is the only area that I believe I'm able to empathize with the Apostle Paul. By way of contrast, I have never been beaten, robbed, imprisoned, suffered shipwreck, blinded, gone hungry, or been exposed to the elements for the sake of the gospel. Quite frankly, I've had it easy compared to the Apostle Paul. In fact, one would argue, I'm not even close. Paul has endured all these things for the gospel. but I have endeavored to bear your burdens with you. I only wish there had been a seminary class that would even have touched on this aspect of ministry. But alas, there was none. No one taught me how to bear other people's burdens. These circumstances that Paul recounts should encourage us in our own trials in life. Just as Paul had a sordid past and just as Paul has suffered in his life after coming to faith in our Lord his li- and his life has not been easy, you too have suffered after coming to faith. I, I know you people. You've shared some of your most intimate things with me. I understand your suffering. I understand the trials you've gone through. And some of you are going through trials even now. But Paul is teaching us with this admonition, don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't grow weary in doing the things you ought to do. Because there will be a harvest one day. You will see the fruits of your labors. God will bring it to you. So these things that Paul recounts should encourage us in our own trials in life. Just as Paul had this past, we too have a past. Your past may have been filled with sin prior to salvation. Your life as a believer has likely been filled with a variety of trials and tribulations. And such are the effects of sin in the world in which we live. And this brings us to the admonitions, again, of verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Our Lord Jesus died on a cross. And in doing so, he is persevering to the end in our salvation. Let us follow after his example. Brethren, the passage that we've read as our text says these words In due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Brethren, God is the mighty reaper. And we are in the midst of a harvest season. Just as the truck crops are being harvested even now in the fields, and the field crops will soon be harvested, especially you folks up in Wilmington understand this well, God is harvesting a kingdom for Himself. That kingdom is being harvested according to a promise that God has made to us and to our children, and to those who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. Furthermore, we are participants in the mighty work of harvesting, according to verse 9. That plainly states, For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now, I suppose we could focus our, intention, our attention on what our lives were like in times past, before we believed, Or I suppose we could focus our attention on the various and many trials we have suffered after coming to faith. But I believe Paul admonishes us not to focus on those things too long. But he says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Our focus isn't on the past, but should be on the harvest. There's a profound simplicity to this admonition. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Doing good unto all men has been prepared for us already. Doing good to the people of God has been prepared for us already. We are to walk in the light of that preparation. The life of faith and of good works is an enduring race, or should I say, a race of endurance. It takes time. And tenacity. We can run this endurance race because Jesus has conquered on the cross and at his resurrection all obstacles that we can encounter. Now, some of you are runners. You understand what endurance races are all about. You could burn yourself out in the first few miles, but if it's a marathon or anything similar to a marathon, you must save your energy. You must count the cost to the end. It's a race of endurance. I want to encourage you. Keep doing the good things that God called you to do. Rearing your che- children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Praying for your brethren. Bearing their burdens in prayer. Cleansing your own self in confession and repentance of sin. Making yourself a fit vessel for the Kingdom. Proclaiming that good news to your neighbor, to your co-worker, to your children. Showing forth the Gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. Being a faithful steward of what God has entrusted to you. Tithing before God that He might increase all that you have. Treating those whom you do business with with fidelity. Paying your bills on time when you make a promise, keeping it. Don't grow weary in doing these things. Yes, you will have times when you're not as faithful as you should be. That's what confession and repentance is all about. Striving for the work of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, not only in your life, but on behalf of others. Bearing one another's burdens with them. This is the call of the Christian. This is... What Paul is saying, don't grow weary in doing these things. For in due season, you will be a reaper. Well, I want to close with a montage of passages from the pen of Paul speaking of the race of faith and the harvest that awaits us. Acts 20, 24 But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the Gospel of the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. 2 Timothy 4.7 I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God on high. Brethren, don't grow weary in well-doing, but keep the faith. Do the work of the kingdom and you shall reap what you've sown. Let us pray together.